Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening and welcome to Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams right here in my home in the most beautiful city from my point of view in the world, Houston, Texas. And you can notice right outside my windows here that up here on the 19th floor that it's uh, because of the fall back, it's dark already. So normally we get to see the sunset uh, go back behind me, but boy, it's already down. Uh, it's been a beautiful day here in Houston. Tonight we have an awesome program. I am so excited about this. I think it's very timely, and it's one of those authors that I probably, to be honest with you, would have never went down that area of the bookstore to even run across this, but I am so glad that I read this book, uh, and you're going to just be blessed tonight, and I know you're going to want to get a copy of this book, so make sure you have a piece of paper and a pencil or pen handy, and you can even get involved tonight in the program. There's two or three different ways you can do that. You can call in to the wonderful people of BBS radio station at 888-627-6008. And they will uh, ask you your first name, maybe what city you're from, and they will patch you straight into uh, me and the guest. And uh, you'll be able to ask your question or your comment. And uh, there's another way you can actually get on the Shattered by the Darkness Facebook page. We are live right now. My son, uh, my awesome son, my youngest son, uh, that's in the United States Army in Seattle, Washington, where he's stationed. He is running that right now, and I'm looking at it over here to my left, and it is up and running live, but we are live around the world tonight, and I know we have a lot of, lot of listeners that are listening in. I want to always like to talk about and share something that happened to me this week, or, um, something that's impacted me or something that just came to mind uh, sometime throughout the week. I was speaking uh, this weekend uh, to the Texas Teachers Association up in Round Rock, which is just near Austin, uh, Texas. And I had a great room full of people, uh, teachers and administrators and, and aides and things of that order. And um, we were talking about being trauma-informed. Uh, how important it is to recognize that everybody that we walk across and meet and greet and ride an elevator with or pass Walmart or, uh, you know, pass somebody on the street, everybody has their own set of issues and baggage that they're carrying. And to be able to get through what we call life, uh, we talked about resiliency. 
And I threw out a line that I'm not for sure it was completely understood or if I completely understand it, but I mentioned something on the order of resiliency isn't something that you have to go out and learn. Resiliency is something that is already inside of you. You just have to dig deep enough to discover it. And sometimes in life, um, we feel that life doesn't get easier or more forgiving. It's just that you get stronger and more resilient to be able to handle those things in life. And I think resiliency is going to be an awesome uh, topic that goes right in to uh, our, our guest tonight. But, you know, I have a lot of scars on me emotionally, relationally, physically, uh, spiritually. I have a lot of different scars. And my scars remind me that I survived the deepest wounds that in itself accomplished is an accomplishment. But my scars also remind me that the damage life has inflicted on me has in many ways made me a stronger and more resilient and a deeper character of a person than what I am. What hurt me in the past has actually made me better equipped to what I'm going to face in the future. And many times, cleaning the wound is often so much more painful than the cut itself. And that's deep. We could speak an hour just on that for you to sit back and think about that. But there's a couple things that I, I learned recently that we need to maybe discover more inside of us about resiliency, I need to find a place of purpose in life and in those life challenges. Instead of being discouraged, I need to be more motivated. And I have a little sticky note. Uh, it's about, looks like this. And I, I have a little sticky note that's right on my desk, a uh, little overhead hanging on my desk. that says something like this. Uh, I don't probably have the quote exactly right, but I am glad I went through everything that I went through in life because of those instances, it made me, me. Now, would I change things different? Would I have wanted to be sexually abused all my life as a child? No, but because of that, it made me who I am today. So it motivates me now because of the depth of the character that forced me to develop to try to help as many other people as I can. And I need to also, and you need to also, believe in yourself. Sometimes there's not too many people in your corner cheering you on. But I let you want to let you know, you need to cheer yourself on. Believe in the depth of who you are and how you can do it, and then be willing to embrace change. I think we're going to find a huge change in our guest's life tonight when they discovered something that totally changed everything that they thought about who they were and are and their family history. 
and then try to stay as positive as you can. In a world that is absolutely filled with negativity, we need to try to fuel as much stuff in our tank and hold that stuff in our tank of positivity. So instead of in the morning reaching for your phone and looking on Facebook or reading the headlines of the news, why would you do that to yourself the first thing in the morning? Why don't you do some mindfulness techniques, fill yourself with positivity, open up the word, uh, meditate, do something that's going to fill the tank instead of bore another hole in the tank and allow that positivity that you do have to drain out on the ground before your feet ever touch the ground from the bed. And then also make sure you take time to nurture yourself. Take care of yourself. Get some sleep. We all ought to be feeling pretty good because you got an extra hour of sleep last night. At least you should have. Or you were like me. You woke up every hour wondering if you're going to oversleep or not because the clocks automatically change or does the phone change? We don't know what's going on. But you're supposed to have got an extra hour of sleep. And then take action. Focus on progress. It took me 35 plus years before I ever made a step forward in progress. And uh, I waited way too long and it caused way too much internal and mental and emotional damage on me. Don't do that. Start right tonight and make that step forward uh, in progress and take action. And then also never give up. You are worth the effort. If I had a $100 bill here and I crumpled it up, put it on the floor, stomped on it, dipped it in water, marked all over it, and unfolded it, it's still worth $100. Just because of the bad things that's happened in your life never decreases the value of the person that you are. Matter of fact, I believe it pays interest on who you are and you become a more fuller, stronger, motivated, and inspired person. And then when we go out and try to help one person a day, we end up blossoming more than what you can imagine. And that's what life is all about. Just crossing uh, paths with people that's on a journey with you and holding their hand during that just short time and making an impact. Just like I believe the next 45 minutes is going to make an impact on you because we have Linda Brenneman here tonight and she is the author's of the Pulsar Saga. Unbelievable book that I suggest everybody get a hold of. And she grew up in Buffalo, New York. She is the middle child of seven born to Hungarian physicians who survived World War II and started their new life in the United States in 1941. She has a BA in psychology, went on to get her MBA, and uh, she has all kinds of education. But something happened in a house that almost burnt completely down, and there was a box left that miraculously survived. And in that box were secrets, 
when she discovered them, totally changed her life. And I'm going to let her tell that story. Linda, can you hear me this evening? I can. Thank you, Greg, for that wonderful introduction and those beautiful words before that. Thank you. Well, I tell you, Linda, I want to thank you for uh, being on the program tonight. I know because your book just came out in September, so it is still the ink still smells when you open up the book yes. and you smell the ink, and I love that smell. It does. So it I'm, I'm going to hold it up if it's okay. I'm going to yes, hold please it up. Do. Look at the beauty of this book. And did I pronounce that right, Pulitzer? Yes, the Pulitzer oh, Saga. The yep. Pulitzer Saga. Did you come up with that title? Well, it's my family name. Right. So, so yes. From the city of Polis? Yes. So, so there's a city in what, what's now Czech Republic called Pulitz, and it's, it's actually a little bit different name now, but it was, was Pulitz. And in 1789, when Jews were forced to, to um, take on last names, because most of them use patronyms, like my, my um, great, great, great grandfather from that era was known as Isaac, son of Joseph. But in 1789, they were forced, this was all part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at the time, and for tax purposes, because they wanted to collect taxes, um, they forced all the Jews to take on surnames. And in most cases, they were not allowed to choose their names. They were given the names by authorities. And so they were given the name. In his case, he was given the name Pulitzer from Pulitz. And it actually happens to be the same town where Joseph Pulitzer, the um, magnet, you know, the, the newspaper magnet was also from. So and the, the families knew each other. Unbelievable. So and as a matter of fact, they married now. they married each other too. So <laughs> that's great. Show show the book cover one more time and explain yeah. to me the the tree and the symbolisms that's on the cover of this book. Yeah. It you know something it's interesting. The more you know we worked on this this cover, it was really important to me to get it right. Um, because the tree is, you know, sort of the, the tree of life. It shows your your ancestors your and, and your roots. And I will say, I think before I really went into this discovery, I I wasn't sure about my roots. You know, I knew I had parents and my grandmothers, but I didn't know anything else. So having this incredible root system isn't was a, a huge gift to me, but also the Star of David is just faintly within those roots and learning that I was Jewish and had this remarkable Jewish family was, again, such a, a huge gift to me. So, yeah, it was in, I, I love the cover. <laughs> yeah, it, it you know, everything about this book has class and beauty, oh, uh, the you. pictures the the quality, even the family tree. I mean, you you open up and the Kindle version is just gorgeous um, because the colors just vibrate off the page and it has all of the, I, I wish I knew that much about my family. So before this, these facts that are in the book and all of this research, 
what did you know or think you knew about who you are and anything about your background? What was told to you by your dad? Well, you know, what was really interesting is I, you know, growing up, I, you don't question your parents usually. So I thought I knew who I was Yeah. You know? and we were brought up Catholic. So I thought I was the daughter of Catholic Hungarian parents and they loved Hungary. They, they spoke about Hungary. Um, they, you know, spoke about their home and, and, you know, you know, various memories and so on, but they left out the fact that my father was Jewish so I assumed that I was a Catholic Hungarian girl. And then in um, when I was about 27, actually, uh, by accident, we found out, my older sister actually found out when she traveled to Montreal for a medical meeting, my, my sister was a, is, a, is still a doctor, and she was going to Montreal for a medical meeting, and she stayed with her godparents. And she asked an innocent question. What was my great grandmother Margie like? She thought it was innocent, but her godmother came back and said, "Well, like all Jewish women, she really ruled the roost." And my sister did a double take. What do you mean, Jewish woman? And my godmother was like, "Whoops, I thought you knew." So that was how we found out. It was sheer accident. Um. So, yeah, so, but, you know, and I was 27 years old, I was in graduate school, I was busy with my career, I, I, you know, I just accepted it and went on and I asked my mother, I said, is this true? And she, she said it was true. Um, but my father actually never, um, would never own up to it, to his dying day, he would not say that he was Jewish. Um why do you think that is, Linda? I I think it. The more I researched and learned about what they went through, yeah, they went through such incredible trauma, and I can go into that a little bit. But yes, I think it's it's you know such incredible trauma, and then coming here in they came in 1949. When they came in 1949. U.S. was very anti-Semitic also. So I, you know, I think it was easier because my mother was Catholic. Um, but it, it was easier just to say we're a Catholic family. And I don't, I think it was really out of love and protection of his family. He didn't want us to experience what he experienced. Do you feel that the anti-Semitism has changed over the years? Oh, I think it's a little scary right now. Yeah. I think the kinds of things I, you know, I think certain things have happened in the last eight years that have allowed hatred and and dehumanization to be okay. Whereas before that was not the case. You know, I think we went through many years where, you know, it was maybe it was still under the surface, but it wasn't empowered and. I think in the last eight years, it's been empowered, and it's very scary. It, it amazes me that some days it seems like it's not as prevalent or noticeable. And then all of a sudden, something happens like what's recently happened. And then exactly. 
the the ugliness comes out of people and it's just like what where did this come from this is america what are we doing to ourselves i don't understand and i'm sure how how did you deal with being thinking you were catholic hungarian and then all a lot and then recognizing and learning that you have this other layer that is deep roots into the Jewish culture. Yeah. You know, first of all, even before I found out, I, you know, my mother, my, my mother was just an incredible woman. Um, We didn't really find out everything about her until a lot later also, and which I'll explain. But when we grew up, she always told us, um, it doesn't matter what a person's religion is, what the color of their skin, what their economic status is, what their ethnicity is. It doesn't matter. You treat everybody with dignity and respect. And, and that was hammered into us from, you know, when we were little, little. So, so that's why, that's part of the reason why I don't really understand this, but, but, um, for my mother, what we found out later on is it was interesting. I went with her, with both my parents to Budapest in 1990. It was right after the wall came down. And my father was, my both my parents are physicians. So my father was doing some consulting for a pharmaceutical company at the time. And he was very busy. So I got to spend a lot of time with my mother. And... um and she said, and I asked her questions because I had just found out at that point, I found out that I was Jewish. So I was peppering her with questions, but she was, yeah, and she told me in, in most cases, she told the truth, but in some cases she was still keeping a lot of secrets, but she was also a very humble person. And she said to me, I'll never forget this. She said, well, you know, I hit a few people and I didn't really understand what that meant. And then in 2006, we get this invitation from the Israel Israeli embassy that they're honoring my mother. And, and it was for righteous among the nations. And I didn't know what that was. I called my, my close friend Yona up and I said, what is this? And she said, well, you know, it's, it is the highest honor that the Israeli government gives to non-Jews who risk their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust. So my mother was awarded Righteous Among the Nations. And, and, you know, probably the most famous of those is Oscar Schindler. People know Oscar Schindler. People know Raoul Wallenberg. People know Carl Lutz. So she, her name is up on the wall with those people. But what was interesting is in 2006, she was, she was suffering from Alzheimer's. She was, she didn't really know. I, she sort of knew what was going on, but she was really not in good shape. And, um, but I'll never forget this. Uh, uh, um, there were lots of reporters around and a reporter walked up to her and said, you know, why did you do this? Why, you know, how, why did you risk your life? How did you have the courage to save these people? And she said, clear and crisp. She said, I did what any other human being will do. So when you 
think about what's going on today and the anti-Semitism that you just talked about. It's like, we need to be human. We need to find our humanity and, and do what is, you know, kind and compassionate and find those kinds of things so that we honor every single individual. And these kinds of atrocities are just, you know, if you're a human being, you can't do this. So we need to find other solutions. And that recognition was called Righteous Among Nations. Righteous Among the Nations, yes. And that that was given to her in Israel? Uh, No, in in New York, in the Israeli consulate. Okay, all right. Yeah. Did it surprise you? Because I was amazed because here you talked about your mom and dad and your sister being in the medical field. If I'm, if I've read the book correctly from the beginning of time, almost when uh, you started finding out about your ancestry, how many doctors, lawyers, I mean, it wasn't just a casual group of people that is in your lineage. It was pretty big hitters with some huge uh, roles, entrepreneurs, uh, the, the musicians and the pianists, uh, wonderful people. Do you feel that the DNA in that type of character is passed down and passed through the roots of a family tree that maybe possibly why uh, a lot of your family today is in that medical field. Do you think that's that just a lineage that you didn't even know about? But isn't that interesting how it correlates? You know, I I don't know if it's DNA, but I think I do think there's values that are passed down from generation to generation. I mean, I don't know what does the Bible say that you know the the sins of your father, you yeah, know, the sins back. will, yeah. <laughs> But they go back eight generations. But, you know, I, I mean, I will say that that was the one thing that was so remarkable about learning about my fa- these my family, these ancestors. You know, my father, my father lived these values. Both my parents lived these values. They were all about service and and their service was through being a doctor. But, you know, when I really investigated these ancestors, these values were their values that they had to pass down to him. And yeah. it's it was remarkable because, as you mentioned, you know, one of the um, my ancestors is is very famous, um, Adam Pulitzer. So Adam Pulitzer was a doctor. He was to, to this day, he's considered the father of otology, which is ear about the ear. Um, And if you talk to most ear, nose and throat surgeons anywhere throughout the world, they will recognize his name. So what was remarkable when I started, you know, learning about Adam and I learned about, you know, how he was he was an incredible inventor. He invented a device that's still used today. Um, He was an incredible clinician. He went to. a a woman's poor house 
and really started working with them. That's where he learned about a lot and, and researched a lot of their ear diseases. So he was treating the poor. He treated royalty. He treated the Tsar uh, Nicholas. He treated um, the King of Belgium. And he was part of the court of uh, Franz Joseph, which was very, very unusual because most Jews, and there were almost no Jews that that did that. So, and he and and there was a lot of pressure on him to convert, but he would not convert. Um, so anyway, but but the the his biggest pride and joy was teaching his medical students. And when I looked at my father's career, it was almost identical. You know, he loved to teach and he had, I can't tell you how many papers and articles and books and things of that nature. So it's almost like he patterned his career after Adam. So to learn about this was just, you know, it's like, I wish he would have told me, you know, that the the stories that I think he now he never knew Adam because he Adam died in 1920 and my father was born in 1924. But my grandmother would have known him. Yes. My grandmother never said a word either. So, yeah. I say what, we're going to take our only break tonight. And I I haven't even got to anything on my list. I'm just absolutely in awe and fascinated. I want to find out. More about this box. Okay. More about your emotions when you opened it uh, on the other side of this break. And um, and then I want to drill a little bit deeper about, you know, how did you start dealing with this? And then how did it come about uh, to have this exhibit? And uh, that exhibit was absolutely gorgeous uh, that you can go on your site um, and look at and see some of it. But I want to talk right. about some of the things that I noticed in the exhibit. I want to say, hey, what's the significance yeah. of that? But we're going to do that after about, oh, it's 102 seconds. We'll be right back after this commercial break, 888-627-6008. And you will not want to miss this last segment because you're going to find out about this mysterious box and what happens <laughs> when she opens it. This is going to be beautiful. We'll be right back. Thank you. HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Good evening and welcome back. We have Linda Brenneman 
the author of the Pulitzer Saga. And tell you what, the commercial just said, hey, buy uh, my book. Go on Amazon and buy hers tonight because this is the one that's going to be entertaining and it tells such a, a beautiful story. And and Linda, I, I have to be honest, I would have never uh, read anything like this and it expanded uh, my horizons of what life is all about and it gave me a new appreciation for culture, uh, for the Jewish world, uh, for heritage. Um, so tell me, this box apparently survived World War One, <laughs> World War Two, um, a house fire, and was the it Hungarian, the Hungarian Revolution of nineteen sixty six? Yes, the, the revolution. Um, yeah. Did Did your sister find this box? Yeah, my Tell me sister. About how this happened? What happened? Yeah, my, my, my parents' house caught fire. Unfortunately. My mother actually um, um, died as a result of that, which was, yeah. Um, But my sister lived uh, about 10 minutes away from my parents in Buffalo. And so she, you know, ran over to the house um, and with her husband and her, she, one of her daughters was there too. And they just started pulling things out of the house because, you know, the, the firemen had, had put out the fire, but then there's the water damage and there's just, it, it was horrible. So she tried to just pull out things that, that weren't immediately destroyed and tried to save them, <clears throat> but she didn't even know. I mean, it was just sort of in the chaos of it all. She didn't even know what she had. She just were, they were taking it to her house and <clears throat> About five years later, she was cleaning out a closet and she found this box and she completely, she didn't even know about it. And it just happened to coincide with my, I had decided that I was finally going to search, you know, start on this journey of discovery. I was finally going to do it. And I I had been talking to her. I was frustrated because the only name I knew was Adam Pulitzer, who we just talked about. And so I started looking him up and he's got a Wikipedia page and all of this, you know, he lots of articles and books all in German. Um, so, it's, you know, I was a little bit frustrated and I didn't know where to go. And, she, and then she happens to find this box and, you know, the synchronicities and the I, I feel like there was some kind of guiding hand because, you know, Resources appeared at the right time um, for this. So, you know, she sent me the box. She, she'd she opened it and she said, there's a lot of papers in here, a lot of papers and pictures and documents, but they're all in Hungarian. So she sent it to me and I started to go through them, but they were in Hungarian and Google and Microsoft Translator don't do well with Hungar- Hungarian. <laughs> it's a very difficult language. <laughs> so, um, so I knew I needed a translator, and I I kept you know looking for somebody, and and um, through a friend of a friend, I ended up going finding this woman who lives about a half an hour from me. Her name is Anna Beyer. She's a lovely, lovely lady. I took over. A folder and I thought we'd spend an hour at her house 
and six hours later and you know and she starts talking telling me some of the things that happened during the holocaust for example that i was completely unaware of things like for example the yellow star houses which were unique to budapest you know rather than putting people in the ghetto at least in the beginning eventually they did have a ghetto but um they had these yellow star houses that had the yellow star on it um and they for example my whole family who had this huge apartment building that was inhabited by every single family member so family member of you know 12 people or so they were given one room in a yellow star house and five days to pack up their things and and move it into the house so these kinds of things you know I was just completely unaware of and she said you know you really with these documents you really need to find somebody who can help you research it properly and then I needed to do my own historical research which I spent a lot of time doing but she put me in touch with a gentleman called Andras Gazitsky who was an amazing person, um, just an amazing sleuth, an incredible person, very, you know, he had been very high up in government and um, he was minister, uh, chief of staff of the minister of the interior of Hungary, and then chief of staff to the mayor of Budapest, and had been blackballed for eight years because he did not want to go with the Orban government. Um, so, you know, I met these people that are just unbelievable people in their own right. And he, um, he took on this project and just was an amazing sleuth. He was an incredible person and, and sadly died in, in, um, 2021, July. Was was Andres, was he in the video of the yeah. one video on the webpage where he, he began the video and ended the video. Those were his words and that's him talking, right? That is him talking. And that was, um, that was maybe a month before he died. Wow. Yeah. He was, he was just incredible person. So when he started doing his research, he would, you know, call on colleagues and friends and so on. And one of the, and, and go to places to, you know, try to, find documents and one of the um one of the places he would go there's a uh, the hungarian museum hungarian jewish museum and archives and i um, we he took us down into the basement of these archives they have these humongous registers you can't believe it and you know handwritten um from dating back from you know 1700 no maybe not 1700s but 1800s and and on so just an amazing place and and you know they had saved a lot of these documents during the holocaust so any rate he um as he started to share some of the things that we were finding they it happened to coincide with the time that the Rumbach synagogue was being renovated and they had on the third floor of the Rombach synagogue, they wanted to create a permanent exhibit 
that would help actually inspire other Hungarians to learn about their own backgrounds. And so through this story, that's that's how this exhibit came to life. So the exhibit is made up of 10 films that are each seven minutes long, and each of them are based on um, the stories in the book. So the story's here. And, and so that's an ongoing exhibit. It's not just a yeah. temporary, it's ongoing. That's wonderful. Oh, it, it's permanent. It's permanent. One thing when I saw that is, I, number one, I noticed the beauty of that exhibit. It's like, wow, this is top notch. There was a crystal or a clear glass cylinder with a white feather dangling in the middle of that. What's the significance of that? Help me. Did I miss it's something? Is what? It's, it's it's a pen. It's a pen. Oh, it's a pen. From the eighteen hundreds. Okay. And, it's like and a quill that, pen. Yeah. And that's you know when you when you look at the exhibit, you know the reason we have these stories, and and that's one of the things that I'll explain in a minute, is because there were also a lot of writers in the family, um, and. The reason we know these stories is one of the things that Andras had found through a cousin is they had saved a book that was written by Sigmund Pulitzer and Sigmund died in 1920. So, but it's, but he had done the family research. So that's why we knew these stories starting from the 1700s. So he had done his own research. He, he, you know, um, actually interviewed rabbis and, and people that knew his, you know, they would have been his great, great grandfather. Um, and so, and he, he had detailed stories. So that's is, is one this of the book that was had the black marble cover. Oh, the said my family tree or something like that on it. My no, family. no, that's no, that's another story. That's that's that was literally just a family tree, and that I thought I thought that was written by my father's cousin, but I'm starting to to rethink that, and I think that might have been my grandmother. But this was a story, and I this was a book, and I have the cover um, in the. There's a picture of it in the book. Yes. It was called Our Family History by Sigmund um, Pulitzer. So that's where some of the stories came. But then also my father's cousin was, um, he was autistic. And he, uh, very interesting. And he was, he unfortunately had been, I know, verbally abused by his, by his father. His father was not a nice man. But Gabor, his name was Gabor Viron. He was autistic and he was 10 years old when the war broke out in 1944. So he, he and he was a lot like Dustin Hoffman's character in Rain Man. He yeah. had an unbelievable memory and he was a brilliant musician. He was a beautiful piano player. And so he um, he wrote this book that details and with his, with his, um, you know, without any emotion in it, it details what people wore, what they ate, what music they listened to and the actions that they took from 1943 
1945. So that told us, and, and by the way, he had um, used pseudonyms for everybody. So we had to sort of puzzle together who was who, but in some cases it was pretty obvious. But he, you know, it, that's how we learned what a lot of what really my family experienced during the Holocaust, what happened. And not, not only their names, but then you find out what they liked, what they listened to, what they wore. Exactly. The depth of that was just a gift from heaven, had to be. Absolutely. The, the richness in this. Yeah, both of these books just were just amazing, just amazing books. And then, but Andres, Andres was remarkable because he didn't leave anything for chance. If he found one thing, he had to make sure that it was true. So he would check other sources and verify and, and he was remarkable. So, yeah, so it's pretty, it was pretty exciting to find all these pieces and, and, and really put them together just like a puzzle. So, yeah. When did you realize uh, because I, I think you have the picture of the box, right? I mean, in, in yes. the book, yeah. it's like, this is unbelievable. You actually get to see the picture of the box again, color. Uh, when did you realize the the richness of what was in that box of like, wait, this is life changing? Well, you know, I didn't, but Anna Bayer did because one of the things that was found in the box was a letter that was written by my great-great-grandfather, Ignaz Misner. So he, and this letter was written, he was 99 when he wrote it in 1944. And we actually learned that his son actually wrote it because he was he was not um, of complete sound mind at that point. But his his son had written it, but he had written um, because they had been forced into the Yellow Star House. And, you know, there were also all of these incredible um, Jewish, anti-Jewish laws that had been, I think there were 267 anti-Jewish decrees that had been passed. So Jews were not allowed, they were not allowed to shop in normal hours. They had one hour to shop. They weren't allowed to go to parks. They weren't allowed to go to, um, you know, any kind of public place, basically. So the restrictions were horrific. Um, and he had written this letter to Governor Horthy asking him for a um, for an exemption from the restrictions. And and we found out from Gabor's book that he actually received the exemption but he refused to take off the yellow star because he wore it with pride. He wore his Judaism with pride. And that's, I mean, he just says it all about him. He was an incredible person. And these but were, anyway. these were your ancestors that prior to all of this action had very exquisite, elaborate jobs, professions, respects, uh, and then all of a sudden, they're in this Yellow Star home. Uh, well, what's amazing is 10 years before that, that Andras found numerous articles. And he had been honored because he had been one of the founders of the Budapest Bar. He was a big time lawyer. And he he was one of the founders of the bar. 
He was an incredible philanthropist. He, I mean, he, 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 Andres found instances where he had given to Horthy's wife's causes. So, you know, and then here he was, you know, forced, he'd, he'd lost his homes. He, he, they had a villa that they lost, they, their big house in Budapest, they lost, he lost his farm. He had a 10,000 acre farm that he had lost. You know, all of it was expropriated by the Nazis and then later by the communist government. So how, how much fuel did this put into your emotional tank of I have to find out every detail of truth about this? This had to be uh, almost uh, addictive of finding. It was. Yeah. And, and that drive just had to be, OK, well, I'm going to find out tomorrow. And, and how did you chronicle all of this in such a beautiful way? Well, that's why I had to write the book. That's really why I had to write the book. Because, And I, I in the beginning, I didn't really intend to write a book. I've, I've never written a book before and I hadn't intended to. But I was so, I, I, these stories were just so amazing. And I really needed to do the historical research to understand the the times, the culture, their thinking, their zeitgeist of the times. And so I did a lot of, of my own historical reading, reading books, reading memoirs, reading whatever I could that would give me a sense of the time. And, and so then to put it together and puzzle it together, I just found that I had to write the book. It just, I had to do it. So it was, I didn't have a choice. How, how much knowledge did you have about that culture, that society? prior to this well really not 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 that much and i certainly didn't understand how jews were treated you know for example you know going back to the 1700s um you know empress maria teresa called jews a plague of, on the race you know and so you you start to understand what these people were facing and and so many people of you know the of shall I say wealthier Jews and they and especially there were there were court Jews of course and you know you know the big names the Rothschilds and the you know that they they were not of that caliber but there were so many that were um that converted and what was remarkable to me was they didn't they didn't want to convert you know, later on, that that was not always true. But, you know, when when you looked at um, even going back to, say, Moritz Pulitzer, who was Isaac's um, son, he was the first doctor that at least we know about, you know, and he he died in 1809 because Napoleon's soldiers murdered him. But he, you know, there was so much so much um, pressure for those people to convert and he did not. So you have another yeah. book in you? Well, you know, I, I actually do because when I wrote the book, I, um I had a lot more of me in it. And um, I started working with an editor and the editor said, you, this is two books. You really need to do two books. So at some point I'll go back and, and and do the other one. 
Well, this is absolutely fascinating. You know, I did not, Linda, get to not one question on my list. Just uh, uh, I have to have you back. I hope you will come back and, and spend another 45 back. minutes uh, with me because I know we only have a couple minutes left. I want to make sure you hold your book up again. Everybody okay. writes this title down. And uh, there it is. Beautiful, beautiful book from cover to cover. And then every word inside it is absolutely fascinating and um, Linda, for the website uh what's the best way uh what's the website address so everybody can go on there and find more stories uh newspaper articles videos and things of like that or what what's the website that they can go it's to pulitzersaga.com is it just pulitzer saga yeah pulitzer saga.com i encourage everybody to go on there and Linda, thank you so much. I can't wait till the next book comes out. Uh, but I hope and pray that uh, that it's only been out 60 days, 90 days, that it just keeps on rising. And hopefully you'll see a bump uh, tonight from all of our listeners going on right now and buying it and start reading it over the week. I, I, I think it'd be an awesome, awesome Christmas gift too. Great, great story. Thank you so much. And it was so wonderful talking with you. I really enjoyed this. It was terrific. Thank well, you. Well, I appreciate Kim calling me or writing me and saying, hey, I think I have somebody you would love to meet. And I said, absolutely. It wasn't 30 seconds after I got <laughs> on the website. And I said, oh, yes, please let Linda know I want her on the program. And I do oh, want you back. Thank you. I, lo I loved it. So it would be wonderful. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate it, Linda. Thank you so much. And take Thank care. You. Thank you for sharing. We'll have you back soon, okay? Thank you. Take care. Like we do each and every week, I always like to end the program the same way. And you heard a perfect, perfect story. No matter what happens in life, no matter what's handed to you, no matter what you're dealing with right now, no matter what you've dealt with in the past, and no matter what you're going to face tomorrow, our guest proved tonight that there's always hope. There's always a chance for hope. Never give up on that. You're worthy of that. You are a masterpiece, and you are a very special, valuable individual. Join us right here next week for another live edition of Breaking the Silence from Houston, Texas. God bless. Have an awesome, awesome week. And as you experience Veterans Day this coming week, don't forget to stop and say, Thank you to the people that make our country free. God bless. Have a good week. See you next week. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832 396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com and don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8pm Central Time 6pm Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence Breaking the Silence